Full transparency. I understand the world better than anyone. There's sounds in the sky. The rapture is coming. Yeah. There's lizard people out there. We had a shop in Mormon when we lived in Mormon. Our family was in Mormon. Full fists are swinging by my face. I'm like, and then he would just kind of go on these little rants or tangent, tangent, whatever the word is. Nothing that's great in life is is easy, you know? Yeah. There's a nice quote that I feel like you're on your way to say. <laughs> Um, I know you and I kind of talked about this in Denver and you talked about kind of reinventing yourself as a coach and having these new motivations, but do you feel flat or like any bit of depression now that you've, you've, you've earned this big thing that you've been working towards and now you just have it? No, the opposite. Good. Yeah. I feel, I feel just still happy, grateful, <laughs> proud, but, um, I, I think I kind of knew that idea of if you set a goal and you reach it to like have something after, like where are you going next? And don't think like your whole world's gonna change and you're gonna feel different, you know? Exactly, like I kinda, I kinda knew like what it was gonna be like. It was yeah. gonna be like this really big moment and then I'd go back to, you know, yeah. doing my thing. Um, so yeah, I just feel like I'm, my focus is, you know, going more towards coaching, how to articulate my ideas and the techniques that I'm trying to teach. Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to find my, my own way of teaching. But yeah, I, I feel motivated. I feel excited. Good. Because yeah. you hear that, hey, you hear people get the UFC belt or they get a black belt and then they just almost get depressed like after. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I didn't feel any of that. Good. Yeah, I still feel, yeah, just really happy. I just feel like I have like an <clears throat> obligation now to be the best coach I can be now that I'm representing, you know, one of the 20 black belts in the world in Bang Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I feel like this obligation to really up my game as far as coaching goes. Do you know what something I'm just thinking about right now is um, when people are really good at something and they can display excellence, they make whatever they're doing look easy. Mm -hmm. And you know, even the way, again, you know, I don't want to just talk about this the whole time, but even the way Trevor Whitman coached, they walk around the mat like effortless and just communicate with you and they just make it look easy. It's like, oh, he didn't need to prepare. He showed up, he's demonstrating, but when you go to coach or like I try to teach jujitsu, I'm like, man, this is, this is complicated. Like they make it look so easy to just, like you said, you know, use minimal words and get the point across in a bold way. Yeah. That, that's like, yeah, there's a few, few takeaways, but that was the one for me was like just their way to articulate. But I've been thinking more and more and I, I think one of my biggest takeaways is their ability to focus on their passion they all seem incredibly focused on mm -hmm. what their task in this world was you yeah. know that all the coaches that we had at the seminar seminars <laughs> dogs just chewing on my bag hey you little asshole hey you got toys over there i'll strike you down sorry all good um yeah, as Ryan just takes care of his dog. Um, I just found like their focus, speaking of focus, hey. <laughs> their focus was incredible, man. Like they were just so dialed in and in tune. And that's a part of what at least my portion of the podcast is going to be is I want to talk a little bit about that, but I'll get there later. Um, I was going to ask you though, Amanda actually asked me at the gym. She's like, what was your biggest takeaway? And I kind of shared some of that. I don't care. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from that whole trip, that whole experience? Mine? Yeah. Did we talk about that in the last one? <clears throat> no, not really. Um, my biggest takeaway was... That's a tough one, man. <laughs> um, I might need to give that some thought. One, one thing that 
that just got more solidified for me. This wasn't necessarily a takeaway from the weekend, but I just find it interesting how this happens over and over again is the best fighters I meet, like the whenever I meet a professional fighter or like a true martial artist or a true professional ass kicker in whatever type of way it is, Thanks. they are the nicest, most humble people ever. And it's just inspiring, you know, like you meet a Bobby King, you know, he's a Bellator fighter and just couldn't be more humble. You know, they walk around, you know, with their head down, they let other people go in front of them. They have no ego. They're not, you know, hey, look at me. They're just, they just try to fit in with everybody else, all the students who are beginners and they're so damn humble Yeah. and they are just brutal ass kickers. Yeah. And unless you're like around these types of people, even at our gym, you know, Tyson, like Kurt, like these guys, they're just super nice people without an ego. And yeah. it's just, again, it just kind of stamped that down again for me of meeting more, you know, fighters, more elite fighters, more people from all over. And they just have that same thing in common. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good takeaway. Because, yeah, I mean, any of the high-level guys that we saw there, they were sure friendly as shit. Even that, what's his name, Coach Ran Ranos? It was Jacob Ran Ranos? R Ramos. Ramos? That's the tall guy? Yeah. Yeah. Even that guy, he just seemed, like, really, like, nice and, like, in tune, like, yeah. big, big, like, friendly giant, Yeah, you know? But I think my biggest takeaway now that I'm thinking this more is just that whole thing, like you said, about just being inspired from people who are so focused on their passion you know like the, the way that ramos guy demonstrated you could tell like he loves boxing like that makes his heartbeat that makes him get up in the morning and he's you know whatever in his 40s and he's just like this enthusiastic 16 year old who plays a sport right he loves it he lives for it trevor whitman he lives for it he lives for being on the mats and lacing up those boxing shoes and breaking down technique. Yeah. So just being inspired by these people who've accomplished so much and who are older and they still carry that that childlike enthusiasm with yeah. them, you know? It's funny he's brought up Trevor Whitman and just how passionate he is. I was trying to find like a bunch of podcasts with him in it, but he's so dialed in and doesn't care about outside noise that it's hard to find. Like he was on Rogan's podcast once with Justin Gaethje. Mm. I don't exactly know when that was. And then he just did a little like call in guest appearance on this other random martial art podcast. Mm -hmm. But it was like tough to find like all like I just wanted to get inside the mind of Trevor Whitman. But he's yeah. so like dialed in and so obsessed with the craft itself that you know, and there's, there's different types of people like Dwayne Ludwig is the same thing, but he, I think he combined more of the business side of it along with his passion where mm -hmm. Trevor Whitman is like almost all in on the technical aspect and the actual application of boxing and combat yeah. sports. Just the art of it, the love of the game. Exactly. And so yeah. it was tough to find like, yeah. I'm like, God damn, I want to like, I want to hear more Trevor Whitman. Yeah. It's tough to find. Well, he doesn't even really have an Instagram page. Like he has his right. Onyx page, but it, right. it's not like he's has pictures of himself it's just somebody's like yeah and that's the other thing about trevor whitman he's this brilliant coach but he makes the best like muay thai boxing gloves ever and he handcrafts them all like mm -hmm. he just that's something that you'd find out about him after the fact but it's like he's like perfected he's made like the best gloves in combat sports but again it's just kind of on the side they're all handmade he's just doing his thing right it's like a side passion you know 
Yeah, and again, it just comes with his his passion for the game. He probably like some of his fighters were maybe complaining about getting sore thumbs, sore hands, mm-hmm. sore this, sore that, and he just like understood human anatomy and the way the hand is built and the impact it's going to take, and he just gets to work and sews mm-hmm. this. I watched like a twenty minute film on YouTube of him creating the gloves. It was pretty sweet actually, but again, not really talking too much about like martial arts philosophy. Is more about like the gloves he made. Mm. Still really cool. Um, Do you know what's another little takeaway is just, you know, dedicated martial artists who lead by example and just who love martial arts. Like PJ, he's, he's got a bad knee. Um, Bobby King, he's, he's from wrestling, you know, he's walking around with his whole ankle taped up, but they're still on the run at 6am. They're still training like hours and hours with these seminars and they're still just having a good time. And it's like, they're just they're just there being a part of it. They're still pushing. They still love what they do. It's no there's no excuses. Yeah. They just embrace the suck and just keep moving forward with the yeah. martial arts, man. Well and, and do you think PJ would be running up that hill at six AM if his head sensei wasn't Dwayne Ludwig? Like I, I think that Dwayne leads by example and he's probably done exactly what pj is doing mm-hmm. he's probably been injured and pushed through adversity yeah. so i think like he just his presence alone will push you mm-hmm. like i made that post i think the first thing it just said like Dwayne ludwig elevating us to new heights it wasn't just like physical heights like overlooking this beautiful view once you got to the yeah. top it was like everything like when you're there you want to like impress him you want to like show how good your cardio is your technique like everything it's like he wants to like you want to up your game when he's around yeah you know there's there's something about true masters who know how to bring the best out in people they know how to like cultivate more out of their students or their followers and yeah that's a good example it's like you leave there wanting to train more wanting to be better wanting to just be a better person you know they just like they just bring that out of you you know have you ever heard the um the saying i think it was just I think it was just the the word philosophy, but it was um, philosophy teaches us how to live and die properly. Yeah, I remember hearing that the first time, and I didn't really um, I didn't really understand what it meant. I understood the living part, like I understood that it would give you like values to live by and like lessons to to live. But the dying properly part, I'm like, what do you mean die properly? And we were on the plane. Um, I forget which flight it was maybe to Seattle or no, was it Seattle to Denver? There was some turbulence. And I remember like the plane almost sank and you could like taste your guts. I think it was Calgary to Seattle. Okay. Yeah. And I remember like the plane like shook a little bit and I'm like, oh, like the, the idea of death came into my mind. And now this saying kind of makes sense because as I'm tasting my own nuts, Cause my fucking stomach is like rising up and down because of the turbulence. I just thought to myself, okay, like this plane might go down. Are you okay with the way that you lived? And I was like, well, I'm on a plane with people I love, people I trust, people I've trained with for the last eight years. I'm pursuing my passion. I'm going for my black belt. I, there's, there's not a better death awaiting awaiting me I, I was like i have zero regrets i was like i will embrace this death and i even told myself if this plane starts to crash don't scream in terror don't scream in agony or pain or regret just try to be calm and be like this is it 
Like I live my life to the best of my ability and I'm going to die well. Yeah. And I was like, I started like thinking about that where I'm just like, <laughs> like this is the best case scenario as far as death yeah. goes. Death always probably sucks. But as far as like the options that I would have, I would like to die on pursuit of like what I'm doing, my dream, you know? Yeah, that's, that's turbulence is a bitch, man. Oh, oh God, you, man. you just feel like a bang and it's like up and down and you're like, there's nothing we could do. Yeah. And I remember looking over cause I was sitting right across the aisle from you at one point when the turbulence is bad and you're just kind of like leaning over with like your hand on your head and your eyes shut. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. man, he's feeling it too. But I, I thought of the exact same thing. You start thinking like, what if, and I was just like, I'm going to Denver with like people I look up to and my closest friends going to train, like. That, that's what life is about. If this is how I'm supposed to go, then bring it. Yeah. You know? And, and Kurt said the same thing. He started, like, those are the yeah. ideas he started having yeah. in his head where he's like, at least I'm doing what I love. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like we all kind of connected with that thought of, like, I have no regrets. Like, we we came here to, to live yeah. to the best of our ability. This is how we go. This is how we go. Yeah. I remember J.K. Rawlings, Rawlings, the lady who wrote Harry Potter. Yeah. She was, I remember hearing a story. She was so, she, she had so much faith that her destiny was to put this book out before she was finished. She was on this flight and, um, she was kind of telling herself or telling other people, I can't remember. She's like, everybody that's on this plane with me is lucky because the, like, there's no way this plane is going to go down because like I have still have to finish this book. So like I can't die in the meantime on a flight. Wow. So like she just had full faith that like everybody here is lucky because like 100% we're getting to the destination. Oh, wow. If only but, that's how it worked. But I told the same thing to Natalia, you know, like it was nice to get home and like sleep in your own bed and like be with your family. But it's like, you know, even those scary moments of like being in another city, being like downtown, maybe in a rougher area, being, you know, having like turbulence on flights, it's like, yeah, that's scary, but the alternative is just to stay at home and stay in your comfort zone yeah. and never do anything risky. And it's like, that's no way to live. No. So like, I want to have time apart. I want to take risks. I want to maybe get on that flight, drive down that path, you know? And if that's how you go, that's how you go. This is life. You have to live. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it reminded me, so something recent happened to me too, just to, you know, um, continue talking about like how to live and die properly. So uh, Derek who trains at our gym uh, he recently put his dog down Gunner it's like a really big um, some type of Mastiff yeah it's some type of Mastiff Great Dane is it a <clears throat> is it a combination Great Dane fuck I forget I forget what breed of the dog it was but it was a massive dog and um, you know he put it down obviously it's super hard to do that um, and it's funny like he he brought it up to me or I saw it on a post and I just said, Hey, like, sorry to hear about your dog. And he, you know, he was obviously devastated, but I, I actually told him like, that was the right thing to do. Like the dog died. Well, I think some people will spend so much money on keeping their dog alive when now you've allowed it to suffer for an extra year or two. That's not dying. Well, that thing needs to go. And I think doing that, you almost like set it free from its suffering. And again, like, that's dying well. I think we have this obsession with like keeping life going for far too long and with people too, not just dogs. Yeah. It's like, we'll have like a 90 year old person in the hospital. Like you're doing liver surgery, you're replacing their hip. You're doing all these things. These families are dumping like money into you. They're having to babysit you. They're having to watch you. 
like to me, get me out of here. As soon as I have like, you're spending a bunch of money on me and you're having to like wipe my ass and I'm just like sitting there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here. I want to like, I want to die better than that. Mm-hmm. And it, in, in this, the, one of the books that I was reading, it talked about Marcus Aurelius. Apparently he got like really like deathly sick one time. And these like nurses or whatever you call them back then were like trying to like cater to him and help him. And he just started starving himself. He was like, let's wrap this up. I'll just stop eating. And to them that was dying well. Yeah. He's like, they saw people like, like putting all this energy and effort into keeping him alive. And he's like, look, I'm good. I was the emperor of Rome. Mm-hmm. I've done everything I can do. Like I've had kids, like let's wrap this up, you know? And they'll just start starving themselves. Yeah. I'm like, that's, that's admirable. So yeah, the idea of like dying well started to clue in when, I, when we were on that plane and like, you know, we started thinking like, let's, let's not go out in agony. Let's not go out screaming. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else but here. Yeah. This is how we go. This is how we go. Yeah. The, the, it, I don't know if this is true or not, but in the show, the TV series Vikings, they talk a lot about when um, to get to Valhalla, like their heaven, you can't scream when you're dying. So if you go out like, ah, like almost like a bitch, like Thor is like, you're not welcome here. <laughs> like I saw you fucking pissing yourself and yeah. screaming, like die better. You know, do you know what I've, I've, I heard this recently. Um, and again, I'm, you know, skeptical whenever, when, whenever anybody's saying what it's like, Oh, don't fear death. Cause the afterlife is like, well, well do you know for right. sure? I mean, nobody really knows concrete, but a little analogy of, you know, like we all fear death is this big negative thing, but life is like a three and a half star hotel and death is like a five star hotel. You know, mm-hmm. it's like back to, back to that consciousness without the suffering, without the, the, the stress, the anxiety uh, that life brings. And it's just this more peaceful consciousness, you know, mm. but again, it's like, who can really say that and be like, that's what it is. So you don't right. have to fear it. Right. Well, even if it's not true, if you believe it, it, it probably would help alleviate some of the fear of death. Yeah. Right. Like if you thought you're, you know, staying at a motel with a glory hole, <laughs> at first, like, yeah, if, you, if you die and went to like a five star, whatever, I mean, yeah. no fancy hotels, Hilton, is that a, no, is that a fancy one? Well, not not if you talk about the warm in Hilton, yeah. but yeah, yeah, Hilton. For yeah. Sure, yeah. Let's like say the four seasons. Trump Tower. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Fancy hotel. Um, yeah. I was listening to um, to Ryan Holiday on, on Joe Rogan, obviously a younger stoic philosopher, author, and he was talking about Marcus Aurelius today. It's funny you brought that up, but it's just, it's so interesting that it was 1900 to 2000 years ago when he was journaling his meditations and they were never meant to be published to an audience. Like it wasn't supposed to be a book. It was his private journalings, journal entries that later they, they published. And it's just interesting when you read it with that perspective of this was never supposed to get out. Right. And here's this guy, arguably the most powerful person in the world. You know, he's got all the wealth in the world and he's writing these journal entries about like how tough it can be sometimes to get out of bed because you know there's so much pleasure and it's so warm under the covers and you have to get up into this cold world and go against you know what your the pleasure of staying in bed and sleeping in and right. just all of these you know you know contemplations that he had and to think how long like think about that 20,000 years ago or sorry 2000 years ago like the 20 centuries ago and humans and are still dealing with the same problems it's so relevant if you read some of those entries it's like somebody wrote it last year, yeah. just with like the, hu- the the anxieties we deal with and 
culture and society and relationships. It's like, it's just wild, man. I remember hearing this thing. It was like, life is really simple, but we tend to make it complicated. And that's like one of those lessons where like 2000 years ago, they had the same problems. Like we all, we all have like the same psyche, the same issues, the same angers, jealousy, envy, happiness, joy, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's, it's all like relatively basic, but we tend to like complicate the shit out of life. Yeah. And I, you know, it's almost like fighting. Like once you throw a jab and a cross and some basic techniques, there's variations of it. But for the most part, those are the basic fundamentals that will last for thousands of years to come. Mm-hmm. It's like the basic fundamentals that yeah. just stick around forever. And same with our issues, like our, a big issue now in society is social media, how it's brainwashing people, it's consuming people, it's, uh, Ryan Holiday was talking about how, you know, when TV came out, that was the next devil, you know, that mm. was ruining society. And before that, it was either the 60s or the 80s, there's like the printing press. Right. They thought that putting word on paper was a toxic thing to society. And he, he gave another example of 1910, but whether it's a social media device or a television or a newspaper, there's always this, this, this thing that's detrimental to society and our well-being. And, you know, yeah. it's just, it's always just the same issues, but just a different subject. It's, it's like the famous photo when, um, you know, they're like, oh, social media or, or phones are, are killing our, our generation. And it's like a, they're on a train and everyone's looking at their phone. And then you look 30 years ago, everyone's on a train looking down at the newspaper. Yeah. Regardless, you're still consuming news. You're just like just looking at something, yeah. anything to get you out of your own head. Yeah. Like what you don't see is people at an elevator or a train sitting there in silence with their own thoughts. Give me some kind of distraction. I don't care if it's a golden tablet, a phone, a newspaper, just get me out of my own head. That seems to be the premise. Isn't that interesting? Because that should be the easiest thing to like sit there at a red light or sit while you're waiting for the doctor and be like, I finally have a moment to just be, look around, breathe. But it's like, we go crazy with that. People nowadays take their phone to the bathroom. Yeah. You can't even take a shit without checking your shit, (laughs) checking your stuff, (laughs) checking your, yeah. yeah. And checking your shit. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I actually walked in on someone at the gym. Uh, I think it was Brett. He was have dropping a deuce and he was on his phone. Just like way to call him out. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but it was like, like, I feel like at least guys, like that's our time. That's our moment. And I like, I opened the door and I'm like, Oh, like, sorry. And I like, I just saw that he was like shitting on his phone, not shitting on his phone, but shitting while on his phone. And then he came out and I'm like, bro, that's, that's sacred time. I was like, I really fucked up. Like that's like your time to like break from the world and society and just like relax and just look at your phone, <laughs> you know, yeah. no distractions. Yeah. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from that weekend? Um, I, I kind of talked about it on, um, the last episode, I think, um, my biggest takeaway was the, the coaching side of things. It wasn't really like a technique that I would apply in sparring, although there was some good stuff that I would like to do in sparring. Um, It was more the way they articulated their techniques, their teachings, their ideas, and their thoughts. You know, I found that it was just really inspiring to see how good they were at communicating. And I think that that's like, that's what our gift is on this planet is to communicate ideas and to like communicate with each other. And if you're really efficient at it and good at it, you can get your point across a lot better. And so like from a coaching 
point of view. I just want to understand martial arts to a degree where I could teach it to a toddler. You know, and like that's kind of like where my head is now is to try to understand the basics so well that no matter who you are, I could just explain it to you and you would understand it by the time I'm done talking. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if one analogy doesn't work, I can hit you with another one. Um, but yeah, that was probably the biggest takeaway was their ability to, to communicate. Do you think that ability to communicate then comes from just the, a more of a deep understanding? I do. Yeah, because I think anytime I hear someone on a podcast who's talking about something that they don't fully understand, mm -hmm. it sounds clunky and it's annoying. Like if, if somebody is really smart and they're talking to Joe Rogan about martial arts, but they don't understand martial arts, they, kind of, they can sound dumb. Yeah. They're trying to like use it as an analogy, but it's wrong because they don't understand it. Yeah. But someone who truly understands, whether it's physics, math, martial arts, whatever, they're going to be able to articulate it to a seven-year-old. And like that, like Andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist, mm -hmm. you can tell he's very smart because he can explain it to the point where I can understand it. I am not a fucking neuroscientist. Like I failed science yeah. until I upgraded, but like other people go on a podcast and they have to use these big words to sound smart. They, they literally try to sound smart. And so now all your education and knowledge is out the window because 90% of the population can't understand you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like when Trevor Whitman speaks, it's, it's very simple language. It's not like he's using big words, but everybody understands the message. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, that was a big takeaway for me. And do you know what? I don't think we talked about this on here, but Kurt kind of gave his speech Tuesday night at BMT and he, he kind of touched on this, but since we're talking about stoicism, it's just, I love how we can apply to anything. Like when, when we first got there Friday night and Trevor Whitman was talking about like, what are some of the benefits of having a wide stance? You yeah. know, it's like good wrestling, good foundation. Well, what are some of the negatives of having a wide stance? It's like, okay, you could take leg kicks and then you go to the, you know, narrow stance. Well, a benefit is you have better mobility. You, you can move better. You know, maybe a, maybe a negative thing about a narrow stance is you can get taken down easy. So how it relates to stoicism is there's no good or bad. It just is. Any, any type of a style, any type of a stance, it's not good or bad. It has good aspects and bad aspects. It just is. Mm. A wide stance isn't bad. A wide stance isn't good. Right. It just is. And it's just, mm. it, it, I, I love that, that part of stoicism where it's just everything is neutral. It's right. a subjective perception. That's, that was another big takeaway was that, um, like you said, there's, there's no right or wrong. It's situational and it's based on the individual. Look at the, fuck, what's the guy's name? Jacob what? The Genesis? Ramos? Yeah. Ramos, high-level coach. Boss Rutten, high-level coach. One of them said to load your uppercut from the fucking heavens, cock that hand back and show him you're about to throw with power. Boss Rutten said that. It wasn't nice and tight. Coach Ramos said keep it nice and tight. So here's two high-level guys at the pinnacle of their game, one of some of the best coaches ever, saying complete opposite things, completely opposite. Like if they're like on paper, it's like this would be wrong and then this would be right. But like depending on who's throwing it and what you're trying to do, they're both right and they're both wrong. It just depends. A good technical boxing coach would say, keep your hands up, don't have your hands down, that's wrong. Sean O'Malley would say, hold my beer, watch me knock this guy out. Exactly. And that's, that's why I loved um, Farah Sahabi when the guy uh, was at GSP's gym 
was getting ready to spar and he's like, hey coach, I want to fight with my hands down. He's like, okay, prove it to me. You prove it to me, I'll let you fight with your hands down. If you get hit a bunch of times, keep your fucking hands up. Yeah. Like period. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of cool to, to, to see that. Um, and, and do you know what? I love how, um, we're kind of going all over the place here, but yeah. I, I love how Boss Rutten had a true understanding of Jeet Kune Do, like Bruce Lee's, you know, way of martial arts. Like take what makes, take what you can utilize, leave what's no good. And just, you know, make, make this custom, make it custom to yourself. And just to hear Boss say, you know, he was inspired by Mike Tyson and the way he had power and why, and then he was inspired by, uh, Raymond Deck, Raymond Decker's and how he would just moved his body so much with his shots. And mm. you could see boss Rutten style, how he pulled from here. He left this, but he pulled from this guy. And then now you have this unique style that boss Rutten has, Yeah, you know, yeah. and then Dwayne took some things from him, from boss too, but not all of it, you know? And it's just like, you can break it down. Yeah, Boss Rutten said he really loved Mike Tyson's power, but he didn't like the fact that he always had his hands up by his face. Yeah. Like anytime I'm fighting someone like this or sparring with someone, I love it. Cause you just punch them in the gloves and it pins their hand, hands to their face. But somehow obviously Mike Tyson got away with it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was one thing that Boss was like, I'm not gonna adapt that. I wanna have a little bit more fluidity with my hands and yeah. have like my hands outwards a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, it's a perfect example. Um, going off what you said, how things are like neither good nor bad. I, um, it was interesting. I think you heard of it, heard this conversation, but, um, I don't know how we got on the topic, but we, we were talking about like these things that you see on Instagram where it's like seven things successful people do, you know, wake up early, they'll yeah. read, they'll meditate. They do all these things. And Kurt's like, I don't do that. Like I, I, I sleep in, I don't read, I watch Netflix, but he's like, I feel successful. He, like I, he's like in my mind I'm successful I have my own gym I impact the community in a positive way I make enough money to pay my bills I'm happy what more do you want out of me yeah I don't need to wake up earlier I don't need to read and I don't need to meditate and it was one of those things where you know you look at Gary Vaynerchuk he's like I don't read he doesn't read shit he looks pretty happy financially successful so it's like <laughs> After that trip, you just kind of realize that in the Dwayne Ludwig, he was half an hour late and apparently it's very common. I would have never thought that a guy like him would be late all the time. He's so precise and detail oriented. I agree. Exactly. It kind of was like shocking, but again, highly successful, right? Like not just in terms of money, but like his family seems to be doing really well. He's homeschooling his kids. They seem like they're having a blast. Yeah. Um, he's one of the greatest. He's passionate. You can tell he really feels things like he, he laughs, he cries, he feels it all to me. That's, that's a success. And so like one of the things that I was thinking about was I think a huge factor in being successful has far less to do with your habits and your routines and much more to do with your focus. I think if you're focused on what you want to do in this world, yeah. that outweighs any kind of fucking morning routine, evening routine. It, you just have to be focused. Mm -hmm. And I think that obviously, again, it's neither good or bad. It just depends on the person. <laughs> but I think some people can get away in this life be super successful, really happy, and just stay on track with their goals, but leave some of these like, you know, 10 steps to success habits out the window. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. bitch, I don't want to read. Bitch, I don't want to wake up early. I don't want to meditate. I don't need to do that. Yeah. I want to do breath work. Yeah. I want to teach martial arts. I want to dance. I want to do this, that, or this. Focus seems to be the game. There's so much power in focusing on something singular. Yeah. And also just defining what success is, you know? Like, yeah. mine and your definition of success, if we were to write it in one sentence and then compare it, like, they would be very different. Right. But they're both, none of them are wrong. Right. And it's it's almost like somebody might make a hundred grand a year and feel like financially feel that they're rich and someone might make, you know, a million a year and they're like, well, I'm not making fucking 5 million a year. So it's like, there's not even like a rich definition. There's not a success definition. Everything in life is subjective, you know? Yeah. 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 It's wild. And that's why I think like when we were on the plane and we were like, you know, almost coming to terms (laughs) with our death, even though the turbulence wasn't like that bad, it just, it flickered in my head. Like, okay, like shit. Very uncomfortable, man. Yeah. It's like, might die. But in my mind, I'm like, I was successful. I was okay with leaving this earth right now. Obviously like, Hey, you don't want to leave people behind. Like, but (laughs) in my rather not die. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather not die. But if I'm going to die, I'm like, I did good. Yeah. Like my life was my life on my terms, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was just like, defining success and again to me that's all over the place kurt kind of like mentioned something that i thought was cool so sensei adam and myself both got our black belt on the weekend talk about different paths to get i like that you're bringing this up so for those for those that don't know um adam lorenz is uh like a registered psychologist went to school for I don't even know how long. Like it just seemed like from the moment we met him, he was in school till now. Yeah, probably a decade, you know. Yeah, long time. He's got two kids, uh, a wife. He's the owner and operator at MMAC. He teaches the jiu-jitsu and some of the BMT uh, on Saturdays. And then some of like the nogi uh, jiu-jitsu. He's, he's just so busy and constantly hustling, grinding and evolving. And he's involved in a bunch of other stuff outside the gym as well. Like he was the one that put on the MFCs. Like he's just always doing stuff. And so accomplished. Very accomplished. Yeah. Um, bought a beautiful home. We dropped him off at his house and I was like, okay, yeah, you're making money. <laughs> you don't live here unless you can afford, like that, that was a nice house. It was sweet. Um, so the guy's doing very well for himself. I don't want his life. Nor would he probably want my life. And yet he's a psychologist and he's like, you would be so surprised how often I bring your name up. And he's talking about me. Cause he's like, I get these young people in here. They're depressed, they're lost, they don't have direction. And I give examples of like different ways to live. And like we were talking about, neither is right or wrong. You have to find your path and you have to define your definition of success. He's like, Jesse lives in a van. He, he's at the gym all the time. He, he just, he teaches, you know, a few hours a day. He reads, he podcasts, he walks his dog. His life is quite chill. He's successful in, in his mind, but he's like me. He's like, like Kurt was saying, he's like, Adam hardly has time to take a shit sometimes, but that's the path he chose. And so like he would, he would explain to these people that are coming to him. Like there are many paths to life to get to like your goals. Don't just think because your dad or your mom did it a certain way or your friends are doing it a certain way that that's the path you have to take. You really have to be self-aware and reflect on what your goals and values are, what your dreams are. Get on your path and go forward. 
fuck all the outside noise but he's like look again jesse adam kurt like diff different lives but both adam and i ended up at the black belt at the same same goal exactly it's like you have a completely different path but in one aspect of your life you're on the same path right to you know climb that ladder get that black belt yeah and it's and he also said you have to be willing to jump on a new path and maybe you'll find out you run into a dead end and that's not the path but then you choose a different path you go a different direction like you could have sold your house sold your truck moved into a van and after one year be like you know what i feel fucking gross i i kind of miss wearing some like nice collared shirts and like you know having a shower in in my residence you know and yeah and then you could have been like okay i'm gonna go back to get a job i'm gonna get an apartment and at least you tried or you jump in the van life and like that brings you to the path and you stay with it yeah. but but it's like you have to be willing to try these paths that may lend you, lead you to a dead end right yeah man yeah and i remember you know and going back to like even focus i there were so many times at the beginning i took some random jobs the first year of van life i poured concrete here and there just to make extra money the second I felt I had a little bit of a cushion and a little bit of momentum to do privates and make a bit of money doing martial arts, in my head, I was like, I'm saying no to everything else. It's this or nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and I would get, you know, people like, hey, like, would you, would you want to, you know, stain this fence for an extra few hundred dollars this weekend? Nope. Hey, would you want to come out to pour concrete this week? Nope. Even if it was going to make me more money than what I was making doing martial arts. But in my mind, I was like, if I get in the habit of saying yes, I will fall back on that. I'm yeah. like, it's this or nothing. If I can't make this work, don't want to do nothing else. Yeah. I'm making this work. And so like in my head, I was like dialed in that martial arts was what was going to give me everything. Yeah. I, everything. And yeah. so if I said no to all that shit, it would reinforce the fact that this is my path and nothing else, mm-hmm. you know, and it's been the best thing I ever did. It's almost like you have to be willing to jump all in two before dividends are paid. It's like, yeah, it's almost like the, you know, it's like a, like a little riddle of life. It's like, we're not going to start giving you the fruits until you can like show us that like you're willing to fail, but you're all in. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a weird like universal <laughs> law or something. Hey, it's like the and this probably sounds very mystical, but it's like the universe won't throw you a bone unless it sees you're all in. If it sees that you have a safety net and you're kind of low key but like ready to fall on it, the, yeah. the universe is like, I'm not giving you fruits of this labor, you fuck. Yeah. Like go all in. Yeah. Put both feet on that side and then we'll start chucking you a bone here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and do you know what's really crazy about this all too, man? Is like you i look at like you are an educated man in a sense like i look at getting this black belt not like a karate black belt but like a jiu-jitsu black belt a bang muay thai black belt i look at that as you having a degree you having a phd in in striking and somebody that that has no idea what you know mma even stands for they wouldn't get it and they wouldn't agree with that but think about it you go to school for six to ten years you put in all this time you learn all this stuff and then when you're done you get to go out and get a job or practice it and that's where the value is you've accomplished this thing that holds value to you and then now you can get dividends off it you can utilize this you can help people it's it's the exact same thing it's like once like 
you have value that others can't get until they've put in the work and learned and applied what you have. And it is 100% educated, but it's just in a different kind of a way, you know? But well, do you remember the podcast we did about different forms of intelligence? Like, why do we think that just going to a university or a college and getting a degree there is the only form of education? It's the only standard where people are like, like parents would be like, oh, I'm proud of my kid. They have a degree in sociology. But yet, if you have a black belt in jujitsu, they're kind of like, yeah, my, my son kind of like rolls on the mats. I don't even know what he does. Like, it's, it doesn't have the same kind of value. Yeah, it's like a when, hobby. Yeah. yeah like, like a- if you took a professor and you put him in front of a, a um, like a high level pitcher in baseball, that professor is going to get his face smashed in with a ball. He doesn't have the intelligence, the kinetic intelligence to see that ball coming and to fucking catch it. Just like any brainiac who has like a super high IQ, if they got into the ring with me, it would be 10 seconds and they would be in a world of hurt. They don't have the intelligence and the body awareness or the understanding of how this form of intelligence works. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And so like to me, it's, it's just as valuable. It's just as valuable. And like any kind of intelligence, when you get really good at something, whether it's musically or socially, um, the high IQ, academically, all of that shit, it's super valuable at that high level. And to me, I, I agree. I, I, I genuinely think that this is like a prestigious degree that I just got that now I can up my value and I can like help people more just like a professor or whatever. One thing people are willing to pay you to learn what you've acquired. Yeah. You know, if you go and fight a professional, you can do well and perhaps win because you have this practical knowledge and experience now, you know, and it's like, um, there's something about an athletic feat to a lot of maybe quote unquote educated people where it's not taken as seriously. It's not, it's like, it's like an intellect is different than like a physical intellect. Right. It's like, if you think, and this is what Ryan holiday was talking about a little bit. If, if, if someone were to picture like a philosopher, it's like, what do they look like? Like you probably get this image of somebody wearing like a business suit, Mm. you know, like a very, whatever, normal body, maybe a briefcase, maybe they're red glasses. They look intelligent. I picture a philosopher with a big beard. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. We, 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 we've studied a lot of history and stoicism and way back in the day, the philosophers had cauliflower ears. The philosophers wrestled. Yeah. The philosophers practiced these, you know, physically enduring um, feats, you, you know, and it was much more than just like this book smart intelligence. It's mm-hmm. like you were a well-rounded individual who had hard practical life experience, who endured a lot of physical suffering, yeah. even if it was brought upon by yourself, you know, and it's, it's, the, the world has shifted into if you're smart, it's like you don't have to have brawn. You don't have to have anything, any physical attributes. It's right. all about our mind. And this is a quote that Ryan Holiday said. We treat the body. This is kind of from a, a stoic perspective. We, we treat the body rigorously so that it will not be disobedient to the mind. Mm. And it's like you have to you have to understand that you can be really smart and be live a sedentary lifestyle and be morbidly obese. And you could still be very smart and accomplish lots, but it's like, stop justifying. And I'm not fat shaming in any kind of a way, but it's like, stop justifying that you couldn't even be better if you worked on the physical aspects of yourself as well, because everything is aligned. Everything is, everything works in unison, you know? And it's like, 
the, the people thousands of years ago, they understood that. They understood it wasn't just about being smart and being in politics and being able to debate and, and being educated. Right. You had to, you know, understand what physical adversity was. You had to push yourself. You had to be in shape, you know, and you had to be durable. And uh, it's just something that we're losing these days. But it's so cool to learn about the history of what a philosopher was right. and what an intelligent person was. It was much more than just the mind. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Hey, like, I forget which podcast it was, but they were talking about how... Um, there was like a really ancient way of fighting that apparently got lost. Um, like a lot of their, the ways they would document it somehow. Like, I think it was even before like the, um, uh, the Coliseum. Like, I think it was before that, but it was like pretty much like MMA apparently. And like, sometimes I wonder like how, <laughs> how strong those people would be mm, like yeah. back then where they're just like, you know, these trained warriors that don't like, they don't have a sedentary lifestyle. Like life is hard. They'd be like some hard motherfuckers. Yeah. I was just picturing like, I wonder what they would be like versus our modern day warriors. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that. Yeah. If you could somehow simulate what it would be like to have like a, you know, a warrior from 2000 years ago fight like, you know, mighty mouse Johnson or whatever. I yeah. wonder what, I wonder how it would go down. It's interesting, right? Cause yeah. like, I, I want to say, oh, they're way, they're way harder people. They're way tougher, but it's like, yeah, I guess you, you never really know, you know? I think it's cool when you hear about these lost civilizations or these people like way on this, um, um, you know, like deserted island out in in Africa and they like wrestle on the beach, you know, and they're these big, strong, I can't remember the, the village or yeah, I think I know what sorts of the S, but anyways, it's, it's just cool. It's like in our DNA, it's to, just to like wrestle and just like push ourselves and like yeah. compete, you know, it's yeah. crazy. Um, I'm going to steer the ship a little bit different just because I, there was something I was reading on the plane that I liked. I think I talked to you about it. I hope I didn't bring this up on the last podcast. I'll let you know if you did. Yeah. In um, my let's book. Yeah. So it was, um, it was about the matrix and how Neo was like the one. Okay. The chosen one. Yeah. I don't think you talked about this. Okay. You so you talked about the pinata analogy, but that was, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, this he, he was using the, the Matrix as an analogy, and he just said, like, you know, in, in the movie The Matrix, the original one, uh, Neo was the chosen one. He was the chosen one to help beat artificial intelligence, and so they would, like, plug in and out of The Matrix and try to, like, beat these bots, these, you know, the uh, Agent Smith. And um, he, was, he was the chosen one, but he, he was kind of talking about how in your family or in your circle, like you could be that chosen one that changes your family legacy forever. And Ed Milet said that he was that guy, like he grew up really poor. He had like kind of like a rough um, upbringing from what it sounds like. And he, he became like very financially successful, like hundreds of millions of dollars. And so as far as that legacy goes, his family will no longer be impoverished or Im impoverished, impoverished. In poverty, fucking, maybe you know what I'm saying. Broke. <laughs> um, going back to academic intelligence, yeah. and kinetic intelligence. <laughs> um, but then I was just thinking about like you know some families are morbidly obese. They're all just huge, and that's just the way they the kids are. Their kids are huge. Their kids will be huge, and you just have this really obese family. Until one day, some kids like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go to the gym five times a week and eat really good. Some kid puts in a Jocko Willing podcast or a, 
yeah. David uh, Goggins podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden that guy becomes a David Goggins. Yeah. It, be- it was like the guy at belt testing in, in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. He was 250 pounds. Now he weighs 150 pounds. That guy lost a hundred pounds and he's like a blue belt and BMT and he wants to fight in the UFC. That guy might be the one in his family. That guy might be the one to break the chain in his family yeah. of being obese. Yeah. Like maybe it's, you have a family filled with like drunks. They're all alcoholics. You decide to be sober. Now when you have kids, they don't see the same pattern. So then they're not alcoholics either. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you can break that pattern. And I just thought that was like a really cool, simple idea of like, I wanted to plant that seed because man, sometimes you don't think that you can make these big changes. It's like you fucking can. Like, and I was just trying to picture like even myself. Not that my, my family was awesome. And I think one of the awesome things they did was they allowed me to think for myself and they kind of just gave me open reins and freedom to like, let my mind wander. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it was their doing or not, I ended up in this position where I'm following my passion. And I love the idea of having kids and them seeing me on the mats doing what I love. <clears throat> Cause they can connect that. They can be like, Oh, like, dad seems pretty happy. Like he's taking care of us. He's doing what he loves. I want to do what I love. It might not be martial arts, but it gives them that hope and that idea of you don't just have to get a job you don't like just because other people are doing it and you need money. Mm-hmm. You can really chase something that brings you fulfillment and value and happiness and joy and money, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, I wanted to plant that seed just because yeah, when I was reading on the plane, I'm like, man, this is sweet. Yeah, I like that concept of like, you could be the one to change the cycle. Yeah, you know, and just to change that family legacy. So you're not the, you're not the fat family or the broke family mm-hmm. or the whatever family. You know, you know what? I kind of had like a little bit of that instilled in myself. I, I can remember around that time, like a year before I got into real estate, my family's done great. They're great, hardworking people. They've done really well. Other people in my extended family have done well too, you know, but... I, I just, I wanted to like be like self-made rich one day. You know what I mean? Like when I was that age and I was like, I need to learn something that like my immediate family hasn't done mm. with like the hard work and the saving. Like I need to learn about like investing and like working with big money and like, you know, like doing some big shit. So that was like where reading came in of like, I need to not break the cycle. Cause it was already a good cycle. Right. Like I couldn't have been more fortunate growing up, but it's like, I need to break the cycle and like, push the envelope to get to the next level that and that yeah and that's just it like you you said push the envelope sometimes it's not like breaking this crazy cycle and doing a complete 180 from what your family is as long as like my dad always said like as long as you're better than i am like that's i want that i just don't want you to be worse than me Mm. i don't want you to be like like broker than me more miserable in worse shape like all of those things i want you to be even if it's just a little bit better like that's kind of the goal of, of being a parent. You, you have these kids, you want them to be better than you, you know, like that's, that's hopefully the, the lessons that you learned in life and you dish it off to them. They take it and they run with it a little bit more. Sometimes it's not always like a 180. It's just these little improvements that slowly like build your family better and better. It's an interesting thing to think about. It's almost like once you have a kid, your life's purpose is to help these humans that you've created do good and just do better than you you know yeah it's like i can totally see how a dad or a mother would want nothing more but for their kids to be like happy and healthy and strong and exactly. successful and unless content. you're a shitty parent yeah. yeah that's another thing with um 
with, with just being around these inspiring people we were, we were with last weekend is it makes you feel like you could do more. It makes you feel like you can do anything because they seem like normal people. Like when you're on the mat and Dwayne jokes with you or boss jokes with you or Trevor Whitman's telling you something, you could see, hey, they're a normal human. But when you see them on TV, like in the UFC octagon, or you look like, like a Dwayne Ludwig highlight video, they seem like these superheroes. Yeah. And then you meet them and you're like, oh, you're like me kind of. And then it makes you think, well, if you did all that shit that I was watching on YouTube last week, like maybe I could do some shit too. Right. And it's just like, that's one of the inspiring things is just being around these people. And remember when GSP came to Warman and we got to meet him? It's yeah. like, you see him and you're like, oh, there he is. Like he's... He's just a guy. Just a guy. We were bigger than him, hey? Or at least I was. I forget what you how you saw. Well, I up. yeah, you seem pretty pretty normal, you know. Yeah, like, but again, when you see him on this, like you literally think you're about to meet Thor. Yeah. Like this god-like being, and then you kind of see him, and you're like, obviously he's the fucking champ, like such a savage. But yeah. like you see him in the flesh, and you're like, oh, you're just a human that made so many good decisions and never fell off the track. Yeah. Like you found your path and you went full throttle forever. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I think the more people you can be around who have maybe broken that family cycle and done something insurmountable, it's like just, it, it just, it kind of soaks, soaks off. You kind of, uh, you know what I'm off, saying? Yeah. Rubs off. Yeah. yeah. Rubs off when you it like soaks it. off, like, like water on the sponge. It gets you wet. <laughs> um, <laughs> rubs off on you. Raheem actually said something kind of, he's from Pakistan, right? Yeah. Before I started the story. Yeah. I thought so. Um, Raheem was saying, because we, we brought this up, I met him for coffee yesterday, and he was just saying how his, uh, I think it was his grandpa that like fled Pakistan when it was in a rough area, and he brought his family here, mm. and he started a life here. So his grandpa, in his mind, broke the family cycle mm. of, of living the lifestyle that they were living in Pakistan. But now Raheem wants to take it a step further and build financial wealth here. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a thank you to his grandpa for bringing him here and allowing him the opportunity mm -hmm. to earn good money. And so now Raheem is dialed in trying to be like, I want to like make good money and make sure my family is safe here and everyone's taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was just kind of cool to hear like, you know, like both, both you and I grew up pretty soft, pretty, pretty easy. We had it amazing compared to some, some yeah. people are like literally fleeing countries and getting out of like, you know, war torn places or like severe poverty, whatever their uphill battle is pretty severe. So it's cool when you hear someone like fleeing a country in war and all of a sudden now they're here being like, I'm breaking the family chain. Like I'm going to make money here and make sure we're taken care of. And do you know, it's a fucked up thing is that it goes in the inverse direction too. Like if your parents are Hollywood famous, multi, multi-millionaires, more often than not, mm. and it's funny, I keep referring back to this podcast with Ryan Holiday, but they, they were kind of talking about this. More often than not, that kid is the type of person who gets on drugs, who has money problems, who gambles, who gets their face tattooed, who breaks that success in the family cycle and they just fall off and they're just fuck ups. Cause they had it too easy. You know, it's, it's, it's like that. There's nothing that can stop that cycle of hard times create strong men right. strong men create easy times, you know? Yeah. And it's um, like, I remember, like you said, you and I grew up in warm Saskatchewan with, you know, like middle-class parents. Like we always had food. We always had snacks in the cupboard. Yeah. Like we had what we had so lucky. And I remember being young, you know, like listening to rap music and like, kind of like wishing I was like from Compton and like yeah. in a gang and like, 
you know, and I, and you look back and you're like, how foolish is that? Like a gang isn't this like culture of like looking cool and being badass. It's like, it's struggle, it's poverty, it's broken families, yeah. it's violence. Like it's, it's not what it's cracked up to be no. in these rap songs. And it's like, you kind of get this retrospect when you're older and you're like, man, that's like some foolish thinking, you know, man, I, I even thought about it. Like, you know, when I got my black belt, usually you, you have somebody do like a black belt speech. They kind of just want you to talk. And in my mind, I'm like, fuck, I don't have like this rough upbringing. I grew up soft as fuck. Yeah. It'd be cool to be like, you know, like I was on the streets. I had to like <laughs> sensei Andy yeah. from LA. Yeah. I, have you seen his black belt speech? I haven't. He doesn't go into like, like detail of what his past was, but you can tell it was like going in a bad path. He was hanging out with gangsters. A lot of his friends were dead or in jail. And he found Bang Muay Thai and was like, I need to do this. I need to, and he was fighting at the time already, but again, just bad choices. But I, I think the Bang Muay Thai allowed him like me to connect like with the belt ranking and be like, I can teach this. Like I'm going to start my own gym. And now here's this guy who had like a really troubled upbringing. He's the friendliest fucking dude you've you'll ever meet like right when he saw me he's like nomadic ninja he's like i've we've been following each other on instagram he's just pumped gives you fists he's got covered in tattoos he's such can, a great guy you can man. tell he's like you know this mexican gangster type guy but again he's his life changed for the better and here he is breaking a cycle um but again like his you know his speech versus like something i would say it's like yeah i, I grew up in warman i played every sport i could possibly think <laughs> of my dad bought me my first vehicle <laughs> I had it pretty good. Man, he's got such a great personality, like yeah. such a good attitude. Yeah. It's weird, like what you said earlier about what, you know, what successful people have in common is it's just focus. I almost picture this like beam of like light and it's like you could have, you could be lost. You used to consider yourself a drifter and then you find this thing, let's say this beam of light is Bang Muay Thai. The more you stay on that beam of light, the more opportunities, happiness, and it's like, let's say you veer off and start hanging out with the wrong crowd and skipping class. It's like, you get further away, but then you get back to this light and it's like all this potential starts coming back. And it's like, you need to find some sort of a rock in your life to focus on, whether it's playing the piano, whether it's volunteering at something, whether it's whatever, it's like focusing on one thing and just being devoted to it will eventually pay dividends in some sort of a way. And not always the money, but like, you know, relationships, experiences, happiness. Like, yeah. man, I almost got a tattoo of a flashlight on my arm on this one for that reason. That exact reason. I was going to have like a little walkway or a path with like a light shining on it mm. or like some kind of thing. Because in my mind, that's what I was like visualizing. I was picturing like, and this was like years ago before I even did van life. I just, I could see, I could see like a glimmer of light. I, it wasn't bright like it is yeah. now, but I could see this thing, like this path that I wanted to go down yeah. and van life amplified it. Joining MMAC amplified it. Like it just kept getting brighter and brighter. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, one day I'm going to get that tattoo of like a, like a road or something with like That's a cool. light on it. I like that. But that, yeah, that was, that was why. Man, you've got a good crew. I seen you come back Monday or you or Tuesday for your class and they have this custom cake with a picture of you on it. And. They're just all so supportive. Like you've built this little community with your 6 a.m. class. It's, it's cool, cool, man. It's really fulfilling. And just so my mom doesn't lose her fucking mind, my mom and my dad bought me my first vehicle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she worked her fucking ass off, and it was a teamwork, so I just wanted to say that. Do you think you would buy your kid their first vehicle? Um, I don't know. I, I would have to... I would have to... Th think about that um like yeah. i wonder if it i wonder if it 
helped you or if it was a bit of a crutch? Like, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I, I think like Aaron and I have talked about this and one of the things, and I've even talked about on the podcast, but one of the things I want to do is I want, um, I want my kids to have like a really good understanding of, of like money and earning things. And I wanted to do that lemonade stand and I wanted to see how far they could take it. Even if it's just for one summer, just to get a taste of what it is to, to, to make money and to flip things and to have people work for you. So it's like, I, w- I would like to give our kids like 200 bucks. We're going to go to the dollar store. You're going to pick out a little table, lemonade jug. You're going to make some lemonade. You're going to post up here. You're going to make an, enough money to double your money and you're going to buy another one. And then your brother or your sister is going to, you're going to have two now and you're going to do the same thing and you're going to try to maybe get your friends to run it. You're going to pay them a little bit just to run it. And then, you know, I, I want them to play that game and to like understand that world a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully in doing that, by the time they're like, I don't know, however old, they can get like little side jobs here and there. Mm-hmm. And maybe by the time they're able to get a vehicle, they would have like a thousand bucks or two grand saved up yeah. and they could buy their own. That would be ideal. But I don't know. I, I definitely want to like, I, th- I think helping your kids is crucial, but I also understand that it can, it can be detrimental. So I, I think it's a, it's a tough thing to know. I don't know. So when they bought you your first vehicle, what kind of vehicle was it? Um, the first vehicle I had, I think it was that red. Um, it wasn't a. It wasn't a uh, Eagle Talon. It was like a, a Plymouth Laser. Okay. I think it was a red Plymouth Laser. Fuck, I think. So did or no, you, it was the Tacoma. Your truck. Toyota Tacoma. Okay. That's what it was. That was a pretty nice truck. For it was a nice truck. Day. So did you did you take care of it? Like did, was it like your baby, or were you just like God? Like did you like how did you treat this vehicle? I feel like I took care of it, but I was also a fucking teenager who snowboarded. And like we'd fill it with snow and drive to the yeah. hill, and like yeah. we, I used it. Yeah. Like I, I used it, and then I I worked one summer pouring concrete, and I spent two grand all of my summers work on a stereo system and put it in the back. But yeah, I feel like I I enjoyed the shit out of it. I you know I didn't like take it for granted. I, yeah. yeah, good yeah. Cause yeah, you know, it's like you, I, I still think, you know, your parents could buy you something like that and you can appreciate it and be like, wow, I'm lucky and yeah. not just like take it for granted. For sure. I remember I bought like, I, me and my sisters, we had to buy our own vehicles, but fuck it. Vehicles weren't what they were. Like I, mine was like a $3,200 car, but like, I, and it was like good. It had like low kilometers Honda, you know, it's like, man, thinking now it's like, what fuck would you, what would you get for three grand? But <sighs> I just remember how much pride I had in this car. Like I had the same thing as you. That was the thing. I had you know, four 10 inch Alpine subs that oh, yeah, just yeah. get the whole back trunk subbed out. And I remember having it already when I was 15. So when I got my license, I could just hop in. But I remember because I had to like work and like save up and, you know, put 400 bucks in this month, put 400 bucks in this month in my account. And I just remember it was just like my baby. And like, I yeah. took care of that thing, you know? Yeah, and I think it just depends how you grow up too. Like we grew up on a farm in the acreages, so like yeah. things were rough where we were. Yeah. Like our we had like eight dogs; they all died because somebody shot them or they got hit by a car. Yeah. Like it was just way of life there. Yeah. You take your farm truck and you just fucking vroom, vroom, like fucking bouncing through the field. Like things were just rougher. Yeah. So even the things that I bought and earned, like when I bought my house, you know, it ended up just getting like rough. Like I, I wasn't like particular with my things. Yeah. So like. I feel like depending on who you are, just because you worked and you, you paid for it with your own money, doesn't mean you're going to like baby this thing and cherish it. Like totally. I'm going to yeah. use and abuse the things I have. Yeah. Like my Muay Thai gloves, I, I don't know how the fuck yours last so long. 
six months tops and I'm throwing them out and getting new ones. I probably just hit half as hard as you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I feel like everything I have is just goes to shit eventually. You know, I, it was always like that, like I skateboarded my ass off for years, but I would like never break a deck. You know, some people would like go would through like two or three decks a year. I, I'd have like one, I'd have like two decks in my whole skateboarding career, wow. you know, and I would like skate every day. It's like, I don't know if I'm just like inherently like gentle, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. The opposite of little Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> ram you bugger. Yeah. So wow. anything else for you? That's it, buddy. Episode 68. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you.